0: Oftentimes in church, like we said earlier, too oftentimes maybe, we talk about the, the valleys. We talk about hardships. We talk about hard times. And we should. You know, we should talk about valleys and hardships and difficult things because it's in those things that we see a good and we see a faithful father full of compassion, full of mercy, full of love for us and how he desires to lead us out of those valleys and to navigate those hardships. Uh, as we follow after him, he leads us through them. Uh, so we should be looking at valleys and, and difficult things, but today we're going to be looking at the other side of it today. We're going to talk about the mountaintops. Are y'all okay with that? Good. Cause if not, you can, <laughs> we'll swap out. Uh, we're going to talk about the mountaintops today. And, and, and as we approach Easter and, and we're going towards Easter, um, what we're going to be doing is, we started last week, we're just going to be looking at some, some things that happened that Jesus led out in um, as they approached uh, the resurrection, as Jesus approached Jerusalem, as Jesus entered uh, from that triumphal entry, that week, that last week of his life uh, on earth as a, as, as a part of humanity Uh, That we're going to just kind of walk closer to that. Last week we talked about Jesus's uh, prediction of his death and we kind of saw last week in Matthew 16 the first time Jesus really predicted uh, what was going to take place Uh, and we saw Peter rebuking Jesus and we see uh, a whole lot of things which kind of plays into what we're talking about today but today we're going to be looking in Matthew 17 uh, as we look at trials and transfigurations. Uh, So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Well, there always is time to talk about our valleys today. We're going to be talking about the mountaintop. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to look in Matthew chapter 17. Beginning in verse 1, this is what Matthew's account says. It says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, And led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, your Bible might say transformed, before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them, or behold, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. We see this passage, this transfiguration, and it's an amazing passage. I remember as a child reading the transfiguration, and I I was just blown away at just what might it have looked like. What did it look like? What must have happened on that mountain? So this morning I want us to answer three questions as we study the transfiguration and walk and look forward to what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. Three questions I would like for us to answer today is this. Number one, what did they see? What exactly did they see? Number two, what did they hear? And number three, what did they do? When I'm facing, when I'm looking at the transfiguration, those three things come to mind. What did they see? What did they hear? And then what did they do? So let's dive into all this. Let's, let's study God's word and let him speak for himself on these things. So what did they see? When we see this in, in the first few verses after six days, uh, Jesus took these three guys, Peter, James, and John. And by the way, all throughout this text, there's a lot of threes. There's a lot of symbolism in the threes here, but we're not going to get into that. That's another sermon for another day. But uh, we see these three guys go with Jesus up on a mountain, and it says in verse 2, there he was transfigured or transformed before them what did he transform into? I mean, I've told you all this before. I grew up a Transformers fan. I love Transformers. They always turned into something that was completely opposite of what they were, uh, which was so cool about it. But then they flipped back into a robot. So when I hear transform, and that's when I was a kid, what does he transform into? Like a Z-28? I mean, I was excited that Jesus was, trans- so I'm like, what did he transform into? Well, it's, it's a lot more simple than that. This is what we look at, because what we see the evidence of his transfiguration is the fact that if we could, his face shone like the sun, his clothes became white as light. Now, I want us to understand that when Jesus was transfigured, when he transformed, he didn't just transform into something a lot brighter. Because the terminology that was used here for transfiguration doesn't mean he just illuminated himself and started glowing. But he was literally changed. He was transformed into something different. Even for just a little while. And what we see here, if we compare it to the rest of Scripture, that when we see the other accounts of what these guys talk about, is we can basically come to the idea that we we see him, that he is revealing the full glory of his humanity in Jesus. God revealing his full glory in the humanity version of Jesus. And you say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, just a little unique thing that we talked about recently as a staff is how in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only three of the Gospels talk about the transfiguration. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Which you're thinking, well, that happens. There's other things found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are not found in John. But who are the three people that are on the mountain with him? Peter? James and who? John. So the only one that didn't write about it was the only one of the four that was up there. And then we were discussing how unique and interesting that is, just a unique thought. But if you study the book of John, the book of John, the purpose of John is to convey to the reader, convey to his audience the deity of Christ. In other words, if you study the book of John, John is trying to show you that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is part of the Trinity. Jesus is God the Son. So you're looking at this, we're like, well, doesn't this point how Jesus is God the Son? No, this is pointing to the glory of Christ revealed in his humanity. And what we see is this is kind of what we look at other parts in Scripture. Paul writes about it in Philippians 2, 7, when he says, "...he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave." taking on the likeness of men. John seventeen five. Jesus himself is speaking, and he says this, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. We have to understand that while Jesus, the Son, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus the God, the Son, we see this, we still have to understand that the glory of God was revealed through Christ. But when he took on the robe of humanity... But it says that his his divinity was veiled so that we could perceive him. So that we could understand and kind of connect that Jesus being human. So when we see that Jesus was transformed, kind of what we're seeing here is that veil of humanity was kind of lifted up for just a moment. And that these three guys got to see the fullness of the glory of God revealed in the human Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he references here in John 17. The glory I had with you before the world began. They got to see the fullness of the glory of the human form of Jesus Christ. And for you, some of you still may say, but that doesn't make sense. So how do we see the glory of the fullness of the human form of Jesus? Well, think about this. Where do we see the fullness of God glorified in human form other than Jesus? Think way back to Genesis 1, where we see God forming man in his own image, and from that he made woman, and it was good. It was good because for the only time, this is a brief moment in history, there was no sin in the world. Humanity walked with God without the taint of sin, and we saw the glory of God revealed in them, revealed in his creation, perfect, perfect. And for just a moment, while Jesus was perfect, regardless of the veil of flesh, when he revealed, when he was transfigured, he revealed to them the glory of what He, who, we who are in Christ will one day be clothed in. A body absent of sin, revealing the glory of God in us. This is one of these things that when we read the transfiguration, as several of you might have read this story many, many times, we lose the sense of awe that when we see Jesus transformed before them that they got a chance to see the glory of God in human form, a human fully revealed in the glory of God without sin. And what happened? His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white. As the light, we see the glory of God revealed in Him. And when you think about those of us who are in Christ, if you profess Jesus as Savior and Lord, then you have to understand that already we're being pointed to this, of what's awaiting for us in the presence of God. Romans 8.30 says that we will be declared justified. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that we will become the righteousness of God. We have become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus, the glory of God revealed in us. We're talking about mountaintops. We're talking about victories. We're talking about the privilege we have of letting others see the glory of God lived out in us. Not what we've been able to do, not the accomplishments that we have, not the banners or the trophies or the titles that we want to wrap around our lives, but to show others what God has done to reflect the glory of God. And that's what's so unique about this. Jesus was not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus was the glory of God. And for just a moment, he revealed that to these three men. How amazing is that, church? It's not just a reflection. It was the embodiment of the glory of God. But what else did they see? They didn't just see Jesus transfigured. They saw two other characters. They saw Moses and Elijah. The pause button for just a minute, because let's get some real deep theology here for just a minute. How many of you have ever wondered, yeah, but how did he know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, they didn't have Polaroids back then. They didn't have pictures of these guys, like, hanging up on the wall. Oh, that was when Moses, and that one over there is Elijah. How did they know it was Moses and Elijah? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not fixing to give you some incredibly clever answer. I just really want to know. I mean, Moses and Elijah had been gone for a long, long time, and they looked up, and Moses and Elijah, were they wearing name tags? Like, I'm serious. If you have an answer, please meet me in the foyer after, because I would love to know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. It just baffles my mind, but that's just one of the mysteries of the gospel that we're going to let lie. But they saw Moses and Elijah, and there's very uniqueness of why these two were here. They represented two different things, and both of them were reflections of the Old Testament. Moses represented the law. Because when we see Moses in his time, Moses is what God used to deliver the Ten Commandments. But in this passage, if we look back in Exodus 33 and 34, Moses had a very unique question that he asked God. A very unique request that he presented to God. In Exodus 33, beginning in verse 18, Moses says this. Then Moses said to the Lord, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand And you will see my back, but my face may not be seen. Moses had that request. God, I want to see your glory. Because here we are, God. There's Moses on, on the mountain. Again, another guy on a mountain, Mount Sinai. And he requests to the Lord, God, I want to see your glory. If you flip through the news today, looking online, turning on the TV, reading the paper, whatever you're choice is of receiving what's going on in the world today there are people without the glory of god they long to see something amazing and is there anything greater than the glory of god on display moses saw this moses just saw god write out the ten commandments on two tablets but he still wanted to see god's glory and then when Moses came down from the mountain, he was in that moment, and, and God allowed that to happen, that he, he shielded him with his hand, and he passed by, and he removed his hand, and then God, that Moses was able to get a glimpse of God and get a glimpse of his glory. And look at this, and, and one chapter later in, in Exodus 34, Moses came down from the mountain. It says this, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands of the Lord that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. It goes on to talk about in that passage of scripture that he wore this veil over his face because his face reflected the glory of the Lord, that it was bright to the eyes of the people around him. And the only time he removed the veil is when he went into the temple to dwell with the Lord, that he would remove the veil and be with the Lord. And when he left and when he went to be around the people, he would put the veil back down I think that is the picture of what we see in this transfiguration that Jesus in this veil of flesh was there just for a few moments these these three guys got a chance to see him remove that veil and see the glory of the Lord not a reflection of the glory of the Lord but the glory of the Lord we see that in Moses but Moses was reflecting the glory of the Lord because he had seen God he had been in his presence on the other side of Jesus there was Elijah what do we know about Elijah? We know Elijah was the prophets. So we have Moses kind of representing the law, and we have Elijah kind of representing the prophets, okay? Both of these things are prominent figures in the Old Testament. So when we see Elijah, we think about his story, and we think about his story, you think about Mount Carmel. Again, another mountain. We think about Elijah going on Mount Carmel to challenge the prophets of Baal, and all he did was proclaim God's glory. He said, I tell you what, you guys worship what you want to worship and I'm going to worship the true and living God and we'll see who shows up and who will reveal their glory. And you remember, if you don't remember, it's an amazing story. You can go read in 1 Kings chapter, uh, I think 18, 17, 18, I think about 18. Uh, you see him that he builds an altar that both both the prophets of Baal and Elijah, they build an altar and they, they saturate this altar with, with sacrifice and then these prophets of Baal dance around, dance around and nothing happens because Baal's not a real god. And they worshiped him just like people worship other gods to this day that aren't the true living God. And then Elijah said, You know what? I tell you what, just to make sure that you know I don't have any uh, simple tricks and nonsense up my sleeve, I want you to douse it in water. And they waterlogged this thing, and that God's glory showed up and consumed the entirety of the altar, even the rocks. We see that his proclamation of God showed a true reflection, it showed a demonstration of God's power. And then upon that time, that Elijah left the mountain and he started running out of fear of his life because there was this crazy lady queen named Jezebel. And she said, you know what? And she sent word to Elijah because after the prophets of Baal failed, they killed all of them. That happened. And then the queen said to Elijah, hey, as long as I'm in power, you're going to be just like them in 24 hours. And this is what blows my mind. Elijah, this incredible man of God, this prophet of God that had seen God do many things, many incredible things, he got scared of Jezebel. And he went running, and he was scared for his life, and he fleed, and he was running from her. And surely enough, after he's running for a while, he finds himself on another mountain. And that's where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah's on the run. He went up to another mountain, Mount Horeb, and this is what happened. In 1 Kings 19, it says, There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Elijah was the prophet that proclaimed the glory of God. And while he had seen a demonstration of the power of God, God revealed his glory to Elijah in a whisper because God was trying to say hey you know what sometimes it's not what you're expecting sometimes the glory of God is revealed in something as simple as a whisper but you're going to miss it if you don't be still and listen to me we have Moses we have Elijah both of these men had been shown the glory of God and both of them never looked the same because of it their lives were forever changed You know, in third grade, uh, at the beginning of my athletic prowess, um, I decided that I wanted to play basketball. Uh, Our church had a basketball league, because where else is an incredibly athletic third grader going to play basketball, you know? So I remember going and joining up with the basketball league at church. It was the third and fourth grade league. And don't let my average of two points a season fool you. Why would you laugh at that? If one of these little kids came downstairs and be like, I scored two points this year, what would you do? <laughs> and be, oh, good job! You want to laugh at me, huh? Pray about that, all right? The reason I wanted to play basketball was very simple. See, when I was in third grade, my older brother was in seventh grade. And guess what my older brother did at the high, at the middle school? He played basketball. And it wasn't just he played basketball, he made the team. He made the basketball team. And he got to go to practice, and he got to play games, and he got to do all these things. And as a third grader, man, I wanted to do that too. I wanted to be like my big brother. So I signed up for basketball. My basketball career concluded at the end of that season. But it was a great experience. I had a great time. I learned a whole lot of things. But the reason I played basketball is because my brother played basketball. You ever did something like that? You went and did something because your older sis, older sibling did it? Or you went and did something because your father did it or your mother did it? Anybody ever done that? Anything in your life that you look back? Do you know why? Because you were looking at them. And if we can take something from this text that you haven't yet then you have to understand something, that you become what you look at. What you fix your eyes upon, what you are studying, what you're staring at, what you're following after, is you're slowly becoming that. And when we see Moses, and when we see Elijah, that they had fixed their eyes on God, and then when they followed that, that it changed them. It physically changed their appearance when you're talking about Moses walking around with a veil. When you see how Elijah went and put a veil over his face, it changed them. We become what we look at. And my question to you, church, if we're talking about what did they see, what are you looking at? What are you fixing your eyes on? What are you studying? What are you desiring to become? I wanted to be a basketball player because that's what I was looking at in terms of what I looked up to as a third grader. What are you wanting to become? Because I guarantee you this, you look at it long enough and you start becoming that. So my question is, are you being transformed into what God has called you and created you to be because you're fixing your eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith? you letting him make you over into what it is he desires you to be. You become what you look at. So what are you looking at? 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Church, what are we looking at? What is Westmead looking at? So the first question is, what did they looking at? The second thing, what did they see? The second thing is, what did they hear? Imagine what was taking place in this text. These three guys, what did they hear? They heard Jesus having a conversation with Elijah and Moses. Would you have liked to have eavesdropped on that conversation? Come on, girl. Man, can you imagine what these three... They were sitting there having a conversation. It says, actually, in Luke 9... Luke 9 as it's talking about the transfiguration it says they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. They were talking about how Jesus was going to die and that it was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. The word in your text might say death. The word in your text might say departure but either which one the word used in the Greek is the same word used for exodus. So in Luke nine thirty one, they spoke about his exodus which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. In the previous chapter, we see Jesus giving a preview of what's going to take place as they march forward towards Jerusalem. He gave the disciples the heads up that this is what was going to happen in his life. This is how the, the, the religious leaders were going to turn on him, the people were going to turn on him, and the things were going to happen. He reveals it a little bit later. It says in verse 13, then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. But if you actually look at what Jesus said, he says at the very end of the sentence, in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. He's revealing this to them. They had given a preview. And they're sitting here listening to Jesus and Moses and Elijah talk about Jesus's exodus. If you think about Moses and exodus, I mean Moses and uh, Elijah starts with an E, man. It can easily get tripped up, all right? Give me a break. You talk about Moses and Elijah, they had quite an exodus if you think about it. Moses, God said, you're not allowed to enter into the promised land. I'll let you see it, but you can't cross over to it. And if you remember, when they got to the promised land, Moses wasn't allowed to cross, and he went up into a mountain, and he died in the hands of God. Some people say that God buried him himself right there on the mountain. Some scholars say that angels came and tended to him and buried him. So that was quite an exit. If you look at Elijah, Elijah didn't even taste death. That his exodus was that a fiery chariot came and swooped him up. And he didn't taste death because he went right rode in a fiery chariot into the presence of God. So we're talking about exodus. These are the kind of two guys you want to hear about in exodus. If you look at Moses at exodus before he died, what is his exodus about? He took the people of God out of captivity, out of slavery, into the promised land that God had given them into God's fulfilled promise of where they would be what in the world was Jesus about to do wasn't he about to do the same thing for God's people that he was going to break the chain of slavery to sin and lead them into the promise that God had designed for them in the first place we see an exodus about to take place when they're listening to them talking about Jesus's exodus they don't have a clue about what's about to happen what a conversation they must have heard and then what else did they hear? Verse 4. Peter. Oh, Peter. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Oh, Peter. Shh. I mean, I the love of Jesus to been like, Peter, the holy ones are talking. You know? But he didn't. Hey man, Jesus, it's so good to be here on this mountaintop. I'd like to thank Elijah and Moses for being here today. Really appreciate it. I'm going to build y'all an altar. This is Peter. This is what he said. So, as they're sitting here listening, can you imagine James and John were like, dude, be, oh, seriously? They were getting to the good part. Uh. And then this is something else they heard while they were there. While he was still speaking, so Peter the loudmouth was still going on, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. We see a cloud. We hear a voice from the cloud. Where else do we see this? Old Testament, Shekinah glory of God. Dwelling in the temple, dwelling as it led the people by day and by night. We see this once again. They, now they heard Jesus and they hear Moses and Elijah having a conversation. We heard Peter. Now they're hearing the voice of God. And the same thing that God is saying is the same thing that we hear when Jesus was baptized. I believe it was in chapter 3 of Matthew. This is my son. I'm very pleased. Listen to him. And I think that listen to him was kind of added in. Because what did Peter just do six days before? Remember when he pulled Jesus to his side and started rebuking him? Like, Jesus spoke, Peter didn't like it, so he started rebuking him. This is God's way of saying, uh, Peter, shh. This is Jesus. Listen to him. This is kind of way, God's way of rebuking Peter. It's time for you to be silent. And it's time for you to listen to Jesus. And so no wonder we see there in verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, Terrified. Many of us, God, just send me a sign. And when we do it, God has given us everything we need right here in his word. And when we follow it and we live it out, we don't need a sign. We have it. We've been given a sign in Jesus Christ. And we've given instructions on what we need to do and respond in every situation. Trust him. Trust him. So they heard the voice of God. And then most importantly, down there in verse 7, they heard heard a, a crazy man talking in Peter. They heard the father's voice. And now they hear a friendly voice. They hear Jesus, dude, get up. Don't be afraid. Let's go. Comforting them again. Don't be afraid. And then he says, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. <laughs> Come on, guys. Y'all have got to like understand. This is alive. This text is alive. It's not like, what's the next part of the. This is a crazy. So let me ask you this. I see you, Lauren. Let me ask you a question, Lauren. Can I ask you a question? Okay, great. Lauren, you're up on this mountain with Peter, James, and John, you see Jesus. That's pretty noteworthy. There's Moses. He's been dead for a while. And Elijah, you think. I mean, he doesn't have a name tag on. You hear this conversation. Jesus is literally transformed before your very eyes. Are you remembering all this? Pretty noteworthy, would you think? And then Jesus looks at you and says, hey, Lauren, by the way, don't tell anybody what you saw. Don't tell Shane, don't tell your Sunday school class, don't tell your family, just keep it between us for a little while. You good with that? Now everybody don't be looking at Lauren. Let me ask you that. Jesus just said to them, hey guys, y'all know that whole mountain thing? Don't tell anybody. Because they walk down the mountain because there's only three disciples. You know there's a few more waiting for them at the bottom of the mountain. What do you think the first thing that comes out of their mouth is? Huh? Hey dude, what happened? We saw like a cloud, we saw like thunder. You all okay? What took place up there? Can you imagine that? I'm telling you, this is this is the humor. This has to be a little bit of humor like, hey guys, don't tell anybody. That's all they heard. But what did Jesus say? Don't tell anybody until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Uh, uh wait, what? Okay, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around like the other two that were up there with Jesus, but raised from the dead? First you gotta get dead, but you're gonna you're gonna raise from the dead after that, guys. What did they hear? What did they hear? I guess what they heard is, is kind of telling And what we look at the last thing. What did they do? What did they do? We see that they started asking questions. We see that they wanted to know more. They were, they were wanting to understand, but what did they do? Look at verse 9, the first few verses, as they were coming down from the mountain. You know, it's, it's good for us to spend some time as a church talking about the mountaintop experience. But we can't stay up there. It's good when we are, have those times and those moments in life where we feel the presence of the Lord, where we draw near to God and we know that we're in fellowship with God. But we weren't meant to live on the mountain. We weren't meant to live in the valley, but you know what? It's part of the journey because that's ultimately what Jesus was pointing them to here, the same thing he was pointing them to then and there. Guys, this journey goes through Calvary. This journey goes through suffering and pain and torment and death. And that's the only way God is going to usher in his kingdom on the other side. They didn't get it. But he was trying to explain to them the scriptures and helping them understand. They were asking about Elijah. He was pointing to them. He's showing them it's already taken place. He wanted them to take what they had seen the glory of God revealed through him and do something about it. He wanted them to know. He wanted us to know. All these mountaintop experiences from Sinai to Carmel, Mount of Transfiguration, they should prepare us to desire the glory of the Lord to be reflected in and through us. Not just to see it and to be in awe of it, but to go and be a part of it. Because one day, we will. One day, when we are given a new body in Christ Jesus, we will have this resurrected body that reflects the glory of God. What's stopping us from doing it now? Because there was another mount. Mount Calvary was coming. And Jesus was prepared to climb it, Golgotha, so that people would see the glory of God revealed from his crucifixion, his resurrection. And we sing hallelujah. Romans 8. Let us live as those that is found in Romans 8 that he also called, and those he called he justified, and those he justified he glorified. May we live as the glorified body of Christ. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that there's so much in it that we still don't understand. I thank you for, for these three guys, Peter, James, and John. They had no clue what they were getting into walking up that mountain, God. I bet you had a clue what you were doing when you walked up the mountain bearing that cross. And God, you knew it was coming. You saw it coming and you were trying to to show show them that when they were coming down the mountain. But God, on that mountain, when you reflected, when you revealed the glory of the Lord. God, those three men didn't know what to think. And God, sometimes when we draw near to you, when we experience the glory of God, when we have that closeness, God, we don't know what to think about it. But Father God, may... And we think about it with what the way you intended it so that we would go and live out and be a reflection of the glory of God in our lives. For those who are in Christ Jesus in this room to reveal the glory of God through the salvation that came through Jesus Christ, that others would know the hope we have in Christ Jesus. God, for us as a church, that when people drive by, that they don't see brick and mortar, they don't see a steeple, they don't see a sign, But it's a reflection of what you're doing within the body of believers that meet here. So, God, I ask that you captivate our hearts. And if our hearts have grown numb or hard, God, renew our awe. Remind us of the glory of God revealed through Jesus Christ. God, today, if there's anyone in this room that is yet to experience, the glory of God through Jesus Christ and salvation. I pray that they wouldn't be content with just being in their seat, but Father, they would come and talk to me. They would talk to somebody this morning about what it means to know the glory of God through salvation. God, for the Christian in this room, that has become so content and concerned with their own life that they're neglecting what your desire is for them, Father, that they would lay themselves down so that the glory of God would be made alive again in their lives and it would be reflected through them. God, whatever it is you're calling us to do and be, you've already prepared a way for us to do it. Now, God, give us the obedience, the courage to follow you and that it happens. So that at the end of the day, your glory would be revealed and reflected through us. However you are calling us to respond today, Father, may we be obedient and may your glory be shown in that. In your name we pray, amen.